0: you've got mail
1: this is andy and john talk telecom with andy netzel and john Rewe. all right
2: you're not logged into andy and john talk telecom i am andy netzel i'm john rewey John, today we have an interview with uh, Mark Zuban, President and CEO of SCTE, and uh, I thought it was a, a great talk.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, he's an incredibly smart man who has spent a lot of time in this industry, seen it uh, through its, uh, as he said, embryonic stage through what it is today, and and the uh, you know the development just keeps on coming. We're we're at a really Uh, incredible moment in this industry where the, you know, there's always been innovation, but it's really proceeding at a crazy rate right now. So he's got a lot of great insight on that and really appreciate him making some time for us during a busy expo week.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. He definitely, uh, definitely had a lot of great insights, a lot of um, forward thinking thoughts and where, um, you know, where the industry is, has been and where it's going. And um, I'm really excited for our, our listeners to listen to him speak. So, Let's, uh, let's not hold it up any longer.
1: No, let's get into it.
2: All right, you're back with uh, Andy and John Talk Telecom. And uh, with us, we have Mark Zuban, president and CEO of uh, the SCTE. Mark, uh, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us.
0: Oh, and uh, you're welcome. And thanks for the invite. I always appreciate talking to uh, folks like you.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And a busy week for you and for, for SCTE with uh, the um, virtual remote cable tech. Uh, how's, your, uh, how's your cable tech week been going compared to previous years?
0: It's, it's actually going very well. And Think about it. Um, this is the second year of, let's call it, COVID malaise, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been working uh, feverishly. A lot of programs we had that were forecast for the next uh, couple of years is being drawn in with telemedicine, telehealth, uh, a lot of work today that's uh, kind of fundamental to uh, the, the life that we, we live here uh, remotely, in many cases. So, uh, so this team has gone from great expectations of a live event to actually see live people to a, uh, it was a hybrid actually, to totally virtual. But uh, you know, I've got just a great team, Zanita's team and I've got Robin and Chris and Matt, Aiden, and, uh, uh, you know, just, and a great board, by the way. Uh, we've been restructured here with our, our relationship with Cable Labs. And, and it was all for the better, better good of the industry. But uh, they work hard. Uh, in fact, we generally do more with less. I know since I came on board, we have one third less resources and two and a half times the revenue. So, uh, but everybody's working hard, and they have passion and love for the for the society and the industry. That's what drives people, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful to see, and I think they're just—it's uh, so great to have this uh, opportunity to for the industry to come together because there's so much going on right now it's just unbelievable i mean you take the impact of the pandemic on our industry and the demands of bandwidth and the herculean efforts to uh upgrade systems and record time and adapt to that and 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 then on top of that the the stuff that's coming down the pipeline for the future if we talk about lim- limitless connectivity and convergence and 10g and 5g it's just you know and then ardoff and, and other forms of federal money going to rural broadband it's just an unbelievable amount of things going on right now so how do you how do you kind of see through that and and kind of uh, identify what is scte's uh, leadership among all the things going on there uh, and kind of uh, make that the theme of the event this year
0: yeah, and thanks. And uh, I think we're um, we're trying to do a better job of uh, telling the story so people appreciate that cable is actually cool. And if you want to be on the cutting edge of science and technology, this can be a great career path. So I'm going to try to do a better job on articulating that. <clears throat> but if you look at um, what happened this year and some of the things we're, we're doing, um, one of the reasons that Cable Labs and ourselves had, uh, had come together was if you look at the fundamental logic of ideation, and then the applied science of product realization, or bringing ideas to life, uh, it was natural. When I came on board here in 2000, I guess it was 2009, uh, the senior folks had said to me, um, "Can you work with Cable Labs and NCTA and others so that we become a much more more collaborative uh, industry, and that there's very little overlap? Uh, what NCTA does well, legal regulatory policy, Cable Labs does a great job in ideation." And our job is to bring products to life, and we have the workforce alignment to do that. So, so that was kind of a critical piece that we've been working on actually since I came on board. That really consummated this year. And there's even more room for improvement. I call it one plus one is three when you're able to unify to create an an energy level or a capability you couldn't do alone. Right? We it was a serial process. Now it's becoming parallel. But what's critical about this, I think, and this is to me very exciting. I've been in the business. Since uh, actually knowing I was going to talk to you made me think. So I actually took some notes here. I started in February 1968 and started a little company called, uh, called Vicoa. I got home from uh, Korea after 16 months of, uh, of a, an interesting life in a, uh, almost like the wild west in that uh, I waited a couple of months and then went back to work. Uh, I worked at Vicoa rather at um, Westinghouse and then started with a little company It's a startup called Vicoa which was building cable products when cable was an unknown, but it was growing very rapidly. And uh, knew some of the early adopters, my father helped the cable business here in Pennsylvania in 1950s, building equipment when you really couldn't buy it, right? <laughs> we we're, were going to the dumps on Saturday and Sunday looking for 12 BY-7 tubes go back and make an amplifier for channel two through six for uh, Eastern Pennsylvania and some of the towns that were blocked by Hills. So they really didn't get any reception. So one of the local TV guys, Barkey Lee, put an antenna on top of the hill, ran a twisted pair down, and his TV had signal in his TV repair shop. Then all the neighbors said, hey, can I have signals? So before you know, started expanding out. But that's one of a thousand stories, right? So I've been lucky. I I saw it from its its kind of embryonic state. My father was a hardcore engineer. He ate, slept, and breathed technology and science and uh, was a real kind of uh, hands-on guy building things. And worked for Westinghouse. I saw parts come in, products go out the, 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 we had a lab in the basement, go out the back door. (laughs) And I sat on the steps uh, uh, reading color code resistors uh, for him while he was soldering something together. But um, if you look at innovation, this industry lives off innovation. It lives off change. So agility is something we all grew up with. I don't think I ever remember a state where we're good for another couple of years, I can kick back I don't ever remember any of that kind of notion, right? It was always going from tubes to, to uh, solid state from a couple of channels to 12 channels, to 21 channels, 36 channels, you keep on going, right? How many channels you lose count after a while. So especially now that we're, we're at uh, one, one gigahertz uh, bandwidth p- uh, plant uh, and, and uh, one gigabit um, network, uh, you know we're planning for 10 gigabits, not 5G, which is fifth generation, which may be less than five gigabits, right? To
1: right. look at,
0: at it, uh, we're 10 gigabits with a platform that is the first layer of bricks to multiples of of that over time, plus improved latency, improved reliability, improved security. If you're going to carry telehealth, telemedicine, autonomous vehicles, aging in place, um, the criteria is people are going to depend on our network and that, that's what we're building. So I could talk a lot more about these topics <laughs> if you'd like
2: yeah, so how often, I mean, I'm assuming within the cable industry, that's something John and I have talked about before, is, you know, 5G and 10G, not, you're, you're talking about different, you know, playing fields, two different things. How often do you get get that question from, I'm assuming, outside the industry? Of I get it a lot. What, what, what do you mean we're already on 10G? We skipped six through nine? Yeah, well, I, I, in fact, I think the challenge was, um,
0: to, if they did the math, it was actually more than 10G. But then the, the, the marketing said, make, make it simple. Don't say it's uh, 12.7795 gigabits, you know. <laughs> So, uh, so they rounded it off at 10. But you have to remember, uh, when we build these platforms, these folks are smart capital investors. So they're building a foundation that's fungible. We're building a network that's capable of far beyond 10G. 10G is the first level. We call it the baseline. But a lot of the things that are incorporated in 10G will be applicable up to 10 times 10G. Uh, let me see. Almost 20. Is it 20 times? A lot more than 10 times 10G, right? I'm just thinking of what we have on on our roadmap. So um, my job is to get the ideation and create a a feasible product and service at the right price point. So we're working on tap housings that can go out to 1.8 gigahertz or at three gigahertz. We're working on um, network technology that can be maintained in the field with the right test equipment, uh, making sure that uh, to include an evolution of of, um, fossil fuel less uh, vehicles. So, so think about it. It's not just the network. It's the people and the equipment that support it. So so its product realization is all the piece parts that make something come true in a viable, scalable platform.
1: It just never ceases to amaze me, the ne- new levels of performance that we can squeeze out of uh, the same coax that we've been using for so long. Now, as we get to 10G, that fibers push pushed deeper into the network. When you get to 10 times whatever, 10 times 20G, um, is there still gonna be a piece of coax somewhere at the end of that network?
0: <laughs> There's gonna be, coax is gonna be around for a while. It's not going anyplace, <laughs> and And it's like, um, you know, a lot of applications, what do you need to do the job? But we don't wanna throttle new applications and ideas. And uh, we, we talk a lot about um, some of the new applications as an example, which really drive it. We know if we create the bandwidth that it'll, it'll be used, how, how effectively is it being used, right? As an example, if we look at some of the applications like holographic imaging, right, uh, simple one way may take, um, uh, without compression, probably um, seven or 800 megabits. Uh, if you're going to do holographic imaging in its greatest formats, full duplex, that's and you can see where the bandwidth gets eaten up pretty quick. But, mm-hmm. but what's key is we have the steps to get to where we need to be as those applications show up. Um, what people don't realize, too, is artificial intelligence is generally not archived in the terminal gear. It's archived in a centralized location where you have a repository of all of the, let's call it the the software uh, actions that need to be taken by a particular ask, right? Mm-hmm. And therefore, you you need the speed, the bandwidth, and uh, and minimal latency uh, in order to use artificial intelligence through its greatest capacity. So... Right? Is that going to
1: require like something like edge computing in the to yes. kind of achieve basically?
0: It depends upon the application, but but as an example, you look at autonomous vehicles. Um, uh, how much can they store because it eats up energy just from processing on board, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: uh, you want to be able to balance uh, what you need uh, on the vehicle and versus what you need to archive, and a lot of it is if you look at uh, what's being done in the military and others. Or autonomous vehicle there's a lot of imaging content uh, pe- people say facial recognition believe it or not the it's the equivalent is used by autonomous vehicles in a big way
1: right mm-hmm.
0: they 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 look at obstacles they know what they look like especially in um, metro areas or areas where there's a lot of physical stru- uh, structures but mm-hmm. they know it by seeing it in their memory and what's there they may not see people which is whole another issue but that's where their detection systems pick it up yeah, mm-hmm. but they'll know where the curbs are. They know where other things are. So it's pretty interesting just how you see how data has to move through the network at a very fast speed. And anything telehealth, telemedicine has to be HIPAA requirement for security, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, it has to be coded. But then you think of um, all of the things we need to do around reliability. We're worth working on reliability areas that most people wouldn't wouldn't think about. But if you look about the look at the um, accumulation of things that may fail. Um, it's pretty interesting that even somebody said to me, so we have a network, uh, it's hard as a rock. I said, so so how do you know that? Did you do a link analysis? Well, what's a link analysis? That was the first indicator. (laughs) The link analysis says break apart your your, uh, source of your information and your termination of information. What's in between, right? What are all those pieces that it has to pass through? I was going through some uh, relatively unknown access provider then what's their backup power system? What's their network reliability? Do you have a service level agreement with them? Like a million dollars a minute if you fail to put some pressure on them. right? Mm-hmm. i mean, I'm not saying that you do that. But um, you look at a link analysis, they're going to tell you, what are all the piece parts that I'm traversing? What do I need to do to harden, right? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, I think there's far more analysis than most people think that we're going through now. And uh, to me, it's exciting. You know, I've had been in the cable business my whole life. Other than I had a tenure at Bell Labs, it was a Bell Labs ten uh, about ten years developing uh, HFC and uh, broadband um, on cable, putting putting voice on cable and putting all kinds of internet services on cable. And When that was done, I left, started another company.
2: Hey, so I, go looking through your uh, kind of your past, you were at Bell Labs, AT and T, um, and was that that company startup was at Cedar Point Communications.
0: When I left um, Bell Labs, we started Cedar Point. I was the vice chairman. And we I had worked on a project called 7E, which is the next generation of a 5E analog switch uh, for telephony. And um, uh, this switch was unique because it was a half analog, half digital, or it could be both. And it was a local access switch, which meant it was good for about 200,000 lines that, that could come off it. Uh, but it, um, what was nice about it, it could operate in a digital or analog mode, and a very, very good transitional switch. For whatever reason, AT&T decided not to build it. A lot of smart people, and uh, I'm going to be honest. I am honored to have a business card that's a member of the technical staff of Bell Labs, and that uh, I was in the middle of brain trust. That I was, you know, you you, you kind of feel that small when you're in guys with IQs at 160s and above. You know, that uh, that think far beyond. What we think on a, on, a, on a daily basis. So it was, it was a real honor, and I uh, I really enjoyed it. But um, what was great about it is having access to the different kinds of thinking about how you would use a broadband network. And, and you have to go back in the history. AT and um, was subdivided with the Bell system in 1984 or so. Uh, they they were they had to sort out what what was remaining in ATT which was long distance business they lost the local access, which became the bill companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do you recreate a, a footprint that has local access? They've got the long distance uh, and it was all digital. It was uh, ATM networks uh, when I was there. So my job was to figure out how to rebuild local access in, in using the most current technology. So that's why at acquired TCI, acquired Media One, And that was the beginning of uh, what we did. And I sat out sat in all those negotiations laid out the plan, how to negotiate with the cable guys. And, uh, you know, I worked with, um, I had the privilege of working with John Malone and many others who I always considered the brightest and smartest engineers with economic backgrounds. I mean, a t- tough combo, right? Yeah. So uh, you, I was lucky.
1: When you look back at that, you know, that's, I wasn't there for that, but when I talk to people who were, they say like, you know, that sounds like that was the good old days and that was a golden era of sort for, sorts for the industry. You know, what do you see about the those days versus, you know, the dyna- dynamism in the industry today? Is it is it just different periods of time or it just speak to like the general dynamism of the industry and, and the smart people and over the over the period of time?
0: Well, it, it's different in, in the following way. When, in the early days, most of the people I knew that owned the systems operated the systems. So they had a they had skin in the game and they were climbing poles running bucket trucks doing service calls and in many cases the kids as they, they grew up the kids were doing service calls and it became a real family affair i say most of the systems were families and if they weren't let's call it blood families they were folks that got together in a friendly way they were good business associates and i know tci working there was a family uh just about every company uh, i was associated with would became a family and that uh, they took it p- pretty seriously but like the bell system evolved by buying up all these little companies to make large operating companies. Sometimes you need to do that to scale. As the, as the world changed, you needed to do that. The economies of scale uh, Or changes. I think has become far more sophisticated from a business perspective. We used to fly by the seat of our pants in many cases. And, and actually it was by good judgment, smart people that were responsible that that you know how to use a calculator. But now think you think about uh, the tech situation, the stock market, investments. Um, we we have to deal with um, with folks that are uh, analysts looking at the industry, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we look at not only a couple of million dollars or a billion dollars. We talk of about a hundred billion dollars of assets. So and it's global. I mean, I, I'm very proud of uh, Mike Freeze and the LGI folks of what they're doing in Europe. It's almost like a mirroring what they did here because they ran out of franchise here, now they're, <laughs> it's almost the same thing in Europe, but they're very smart, right? So, but I, I think it's more sophisticated and also what comes out of that is much more sophisticated technology. Uh, if you look at Moore's law, how that's driven our business from the ability to, to, to build complex, uh, smart devices. Um, artificial intelligence is, is really in its heyday because we have the processing power. And we have the smart people to understand how to build the networks that are going to be driven by artificial intelligence, because for the first time, we're surpassing the ability for humans to directly operate the networks. So so the uh, humans are going to use an extension of their own knowledge base and capability by using artificial intelligence as their, that's called knowledge base and management extensions.
1: That's a pretty powerful statement to say that a network exceeds a human's ability to operate it. So.
0: It is in a way, and think about it, they created the framework and the the grounds by which uh, the artificial intelligence will assume responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. It it becomes such a complex network, you need that kind of intuitive, and you see it all over the place, right? I even see it in medicine, uh, where where diagnostics kind of plug in the symptoms and the the, uh, artificial intelligence looking at the, well, if you have this fever and you have this cough and, you know, this is what your blood looks like. Here's what it's most likely, right? Mm-hmm. But you need that in order to manage the systems. We see the telemetry, we see as example on the power side. And what we're looking at is how do you manage power in a uh, in an industry that um, uh, we can actually save a lot of power if we if the network almost becomes live. You burn as much power as you need to pass the let's call it terabits in the network, which vary from day to night and from and from evening to, to morning. So, uh, so there's all kinds of things we can do with this artificial intelligence, but it's, it's not like it's got its own will, right. It's mm-hmm. managed with, with framework. The danger is if you kind of let it go on its own. Yeah. But I, I think the fact that it's all managed in a very sophisticated way with, with the right uh, guardrails.
1: Sure. What um talking, developing this and, and planning for the future and looking at what we think use cases are going to be, they're going to use this bandwidth. Um, I mean, I know the, it's easy to comprehend that you'll work a lot uh that scte works a lot with vendors in our industry that we might be familiar with um you know at risk of you know picking a few like like antronics or a or you know any corning anyone like that but um i think beyond that you probably have to work with um you know, with the people that are going to be using the data, like the Facebooks and the Google. So, so, so who are the stakeholders that are involved in some of the research and some of the planning that SCTE does?
0: So, so we, um, it's kind of interesting. You said that if you look at the operating companies, especially the the larger ones, uh, they have the direct relationships with the Googles and um, and the others who really have a lot of, uh, I think, uh, synergistic work that they do together, right? Um, what we do, though, is, is from the applied science perspective. How do you make it work? How do you put it together? So, our standards body is, is absolutely critical. It cannot work, and it all is meaningless unless it can interoperate. Because you have a lot of different piece parts that work together in a in a synergistic way. So, our standards body ties together uh, a lot of the piece parts, so they the manufacturers can build product. That when you pull them all together, the piece parts like the puzzle works, and that uh, Chris Bastian just does a great job of running that group. What we've done though in the new world, how uh, we changed to, to adapt, is we're saying that if you look at um, our industry, and, and there's still people that don't don't think about it, we are no longer driven by entertainment. It's two, three, four years ago that our, our internet subscribers exceeded our entertainment entertainment subscribers. We are. Uh, I'd say very sophisticated and complex transport networks, smart networks. We're not a dumb wire and that it's capable of uh, a lot of growth. It's a building block type construction and it's operated by smart people. So um, what's different about it is the applications we're going to be seeing once, once more and more folks realize that it's just not an entertainment network, um, we look at telehealth, telemedicine. We have major programs going on with telehealth, telemedicine, autonomous vehicles, aging in place, aging in place, think about it, the cost of uh, moving to a retirement place where, you know, you you basically have outpatient care, is pretty expensive. Um, we're working in areas that you would never thought of living in a in a structure or dwelling that has literally all of the diagnostics capability, using um, implant technology, uh, radi- radiation characteristics. In other words, my wife has a a um, pacemaker it's got a radio in a pacemaker that is uh, on bluetooth we have a bluetooth receiver because it's probably not good for more than about three meters which is about 10 feet or so so the capability to see very low power in some cases sub milliwatt embedded devices in your residence as you move around can tell the state of your cardiovascular it can give you uh, ocular improvements there's all kinds of things that we're we're working with that to include, say you, rege- re, you uh, receive a transplant. Some of the new transplants may have anti-rejection capabilities by using your DNA in the original, um, it's called creation of, of these transplants. So uh, there's all kinds of things we're doing for implanted diagnostics and analytics that are going to be very low power, sub-milliwatt, that are going to be part of living and aging in place. And, <laughs> Right.
2: How does a collaboration like that come about? Is that something SETE goes out and seeks out? Do um, healthcare companies, you know, come to you and talk about, the, you know, these this aging in place um, kind of scenario? How, I mean, I, I don't, how does something like that even even come about? That's pretty
0: Yeah, we, we actually had to kick it off because I think it was the notion of uh, cable being an entertainment service. Uh, but actually, we've been in a commercial service for a long time. But for some reason, it doesn't click between the commercial and the residential that uh, we have a, a very um, well-positioned uh, commercial service. So, uh, so what happened is, um, I guess it was almost two years ago, we talked about here's a series of programs that we're, we're uh, building that would be applicable to our network to go beyond entertainment. And uh, we, we put a pretty good list together by a lot of research, uh, talking to a lot of people. We saw telehealth, telemedicine, education, uh, as as a big component to it. Working with, as an example, uh, Zoom and Google and others, um, and that uh, we basically had a pretty good view of what we're going to be do doing in the next. I, I always look at a five year roadmap. When COVID came around, it almost all got run in. Well, but the telehealth, telehealth. And
2: your timing, yeah, absolutely. With uh...
0: telehealth, and that uh, here, here's some examples. We uh, we uh, we I can't say own. We own standards that are critical for some of the new applications. One of the standards is around, how do you uh, um, integrate, as example, like it could be a commercial, it could be something that you have a ongoing program in a sequence of frames, how do you uh, automatically being able to insert it so that you can look at an MRI, blood test, and that kind of stuff. We already have some of these standards created that we can now apply to problems they're trying to solve in other markets that really haven't had a chance to think about adapting from an industry that already has these applications and capabilities into the work that they're doing. So uh, uh, Chris started up and it's really moving very rapidly. And uh, we're, we're working with hims and many others. Uh, uh, there's some folks that I'm you know, i sure we'll share once we can, we can talk about it. But um, I think you're going to see a lot of innovation in these areas. Now, we launched a 10G, 10G uh, challenge. And that 10G uh, challenge is around those applications that may be applicable to 10G, so 10 gigabits. So uh, stay tuned because there's going to be a lot more to talk about. Uh, and at Expo next year, we're going to uh, select the winners after having a chance to really mull through. I believe some great ideas.
1: Wow, that's exciting. I'm. I mean, this is really, really changing rapidly from what we thought of cable TV as not that long ago. And I think. Just even the term cable, and I think for you know those of us who kind of have some background in cable TV as opposed to telco or or other types of uh, connectivity, you know I think that's our defining term is you know c- cable TV. But that's that term doesn't really do justice to what what is happening right now. So I mean, is that is that defining our industry? The HFC based network as cable TV. Do we need to get away from that terminology? Like, how do we uh, not let that uh, nomenclature hold us back?
0: Well, you you hit it, one of those topics we frequently have. If you look at cable labs and SCTE, they both have cable, right? Uh, in, in the um, uh, in, in the uh, the title, so we we talk about it all the time. But people love SCTE; they love cable labs. And so far, we have a vote that says keep it until we see. Mm-hmm or need to do, to do something different, but it, you, you're not, you're not wrong. A lot of folks bring it up because this is a new world. Um, we're evolving. And the, by the way, that's uh that's our mission to evolve. Mm-hmm. We're not relevant if we don't evolve.
1: Well, and I think the relevance uh, to the whole uh, connectivity uh, world is, is really, I mean, I think cable is extremely relevant and, and doing some of the most amazing things in there. And so I think we might also be a little defensive of the term cable. Cause that's kind of where it came from. So, so, so that's cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's not going to be any, the proof's going to be in the pudding with the innovation that we put out there. Yeah.
0: And th- think about this too. Uh, our workforce, uh, how do we evolve a workforce where the technology is moving so fast, it's hard to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. So, so education in some circles is, well, I've gone to this course, now I'm up to speed. Um, I think it's evolving so fast that if I just look at myself, I have to read every day. I'm always looking at what's new, what's different, to keep up with what's going on. And if you're in a, in a, in a position of where you're, you're, you're not only designing new networks, but you're also building networks with a new technology, you need to build them with the knowledge of not just putting things together, but what's the ultimate objective? How does this uh, apply to the end state? How does it fit into the puzzle of all the piece parts, right? So, uh, so education needs to be something that is a continuum, not just an event. So uh, we have uh, micro lessons. Uh, Robin Fenton on our team uh, works. I, I, th- I think she works 24 by seven based on the load that she's, uh, she's got to do. And she's still alive and she's ticking over there. And uh, <laughs> really the team is uh, doing well. But you know, when you have passionate people love what they do, it's not just an eight, eight hour a day or four, 40 hours a week. They're, they love what they do and they, they do what they need to do to make the society uh, of great value to its members and to the industry.
1: Well, there's a lot of passionate people in this industry, and it's it's very inspiring. and i I love getting those stories out there. and you know, to the frontline techs that are still looking at this as a job and not a career, and like what I find exciting is whenever you can see someone have make flip that switch and say, "Oh, I actually want to do this. Like I'm excited about this.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to help um, evolve that. it's not not going happen overnight. Is as an example, if you look at how we've evolved over the past maybe 10 years, really mostly five, uh, software-defined networks is a is a group within the industry that knows very little about outside plant or the physical plant. Mm-hmm. But they're critical because they're almost all software-defined networks and application components, right? Uh, 10G is even more so. 10G is uh, has a lot of automation in its uh, troubleshooting and its uh, – management, uh, capacity, uh, load characteristics, reliability functions, we're starting to see failure components or components that are ready to fail in preventative network maintenance tools that are becoming critical to the reliability component of what we're doing. So the knowledge base of folks that say are in the industry, I've been in business like 53 years, I think. And it seems like yesterday. And that um, uh, they may be in business 10, 20 years the whole notion of software-defined networks is like a magic, right? The uh-huh. Because sub- they're used maybe splicing optical network or maintaining an RF network. That's a bit different than software-defined network. So, but we're working on really some schools of of uh, skills that are not just software-defined networks, but we're going to have a far more sophisticated optical network. Coax is going to be extending out to 1.8 and 3 gigahertz. Uh, you know, how do we put these components in so this platform can, what we need, what we do today is is an investment for the next decade. And fungibility is, is a key word of things that we can do today that last into the next generation. And this is generational. This is not for us today. This is going to serve the folks that hopefully will deliver services and capabilities that people thought were almost impossible 20 years ago.
2: Yeah, absolutely need to need to build for tomorrow. We can't just settle on on the technology we have today need to uh, keep pushing and and you should proof it if you can. Yeah. So well, Mark we we really appreciate it. Um, you know thank you for taking time during this very busy cable tech week. Um, learned a lot just <laughs> just talking to you for for half an hour so John and I very very much appreciate it.
0: Thank you and, and by the way, I, a lot of folks listen to you. Come back and uh, let's talk some more. Uh, always want to share what we're doing at SETE and some of the, the thinking that we have underway. And, uh, you know, you're kind of a channel that really tells a story. You're, you've got high integrity. You're very honest about it, And you make it interesting. That's why people like to listen to you.
2: Well, we will uh, get you out of here on this. Uh, SETE Cable Tech 2022 Philadelphia next year. We, uh, we hope to see you there. And maybe we can do this. Uh, obviously, hopefully we talk before then, but... Maybe next year we can do this in person in uh, in Philly.
0: Absolutely, and I'd love to see
1: folks making cable a career. Thanks, Mark. We really appreciate it. Enjoyed it.
2: All right, you're back with uh, Andy and John talk telecom. Uh, like we previewed at the top, great talk. Hope everybody uh, got something out of it. I Hope it motivated people for the the future of cable. Um, I was I was fired up about it.
1: Oh no doubt. I mean, Mark is such a um, uh, paint such a cool picture of of how the SET is um, looking ahead, looking to the future, and evolving these networks um, uh, to the next generation, and how you know cable TV has really transcended being an entertainment provider to being you know the backbone of a lot of commercial use cases. And uh, I think that the potential. Uh, we haven't even scratched the surface. I think there's a lot of things that you like telemedicine that they're working on now that are really cool and are going to change the game. But I think there's a lot more that, that this level of connectivity is going to enable that we don't even, we don't even know yet.
2: Yeah. I mean much it's cable TV has evolved and, and our cable industry and will continue to evolve. Like you mentioned, just, you know, Much like Netflix were back in the day, it used to be you could only get DVDs, and now it's it's only streaming. You know, uh, Netflix evolved with the times, and so will the cable industry. Um, You know, Mark mentioned telehealth and telemedicine time and time again, so I think that's going to be a, at least appears to be a, a area of much focus in the future. Um, So yeah, we'll we'll see what happens, but I'm
1: excited for it. Yep, absolutely.
2: So cable tech ends tomorrow. Uh, today is Wednesday, so it ends tomorrow, October 14th, and uh, one of the uh, sessions that we had talked about, um, that we were excited about, is uh, 9.30 Eastern, the power's out, making the most of those vital first 72 hours, and, and talking about all of the things that providers um, should consider and need uh, if, if there's an outage, a storm hits, uh, you know, if, if something happens to keep their networks up and running, and getting them repaired as, as quickly as possible.
1: So that should be a uh,
2: an interesting talk and one that we are looking forward to on this last day of cable tech.
1: Yeah, uh, Mark talked a lot about uh, network hardening and reliability, and this is hugely relevant to that. Um, you know, when you start thinking about all the things that can go wrong in a network, I mean, you know, the simple one is a, a truck runs over a pedestal or takes out a fiber can or or. You know, an airplane hits it like happened back where I used to work. Um, But, you know, there's so many other uh, aspects of the network uh, that are critical to reliability and power, definitely chief among them. So that'll be a really important one, uh, good one to tune into. I also, um, while we're talking about Expo, I definitely got to give a shout out to uh, uh, the team that put together the cable quiz uh, this morning. That was really pretty cool you have uh ron rannick you know over there uh emceeing the show and everybody getting to uh compete at the same level i competed as well um, plus competitors right um yeah i think we were a little shy of that but it was still okay. a pretty pretty robust number um I was very very mid-pack with mine but uh i made some bad calls but it was still a lot of fun so um hope everybody got a chance to see that
2: and you learned something most most important absolutely so, well, that's good. Well, we, we are looking forward to uh, doing in-person trivia, an in-person cable games, though, next year in Philadelphia mm-hmm. um, as we wrap up this 2021 SETE Cable Tech Week. Um, yeah, I hope everybody enjoyed the talk with Mark. And uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Audible, YouTube, wherever you uh, like to listen or view your podcast. And uh, we'll see you next time.
1: Tell your friends.